Chapters 3 and 4 of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book 11, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3. That no man should consider that the Son has any lack of God-befitting glory, though he be found to say, Father, glorify thy Son. 17. 1. These things spake Jesus, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Having given his disciples a sufficiency of things necessary for salvation, and incited them by fitting words and arguments to a more accurate apprehension of his doctrines, and made them best able to battle against temptation, and confirmed the courage of each one, he straightway changes the form of his speech for our profit, and turns it into a kind of prayer, allowing no interval to elapse between his discourse to them and his prayer to God the Father, herein also by his own conduct suggesting to us a type of admirable life. For the man who aims at serving God ought, I think, to bear in mind that he ought at all events, either to be fond of discoursing to his brethren of things profitable or necessary for their salvation, or, if he be not so engaged, to hasten to employ the service of the tongue in supplications to God, so as to render it impossible for any random words to slip in between. For in this way the governance of the tongue may be well and suitably ordered. For is it not quite obvious that, in vain conversations, things blameworthy may very readily escape a man. Moreover, a wise man has said, In the multitude of words thou shalt not escape sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. You may find besides another thing to admire, which is in no small degree profitable for us. The beginning of his prayer has reference to his own glory and that of God the Father and afterwards, in intimate connection with this, he introduces his prayer for us. And why is this? The reason is one which convinces the pious man that loves God, and actually disposes the worker of good deeds to prayer. For just as we ought to perform good actions, and do all things, not turning to our own glory our zeal herein, but to the glory of the Father of the universe, I mean God, for he says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So also it best befits us, when occasion calls us to prayer, to pray for what redounds to God's glory before what concerns ourselves, as indeed Christ also himself enjoins us when he says, After this manner pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. What Christ here does, then, ought to be to us the pattern of prayer. For it was necessary that not an elder or messenger, but Christ himself, should manifest himself to be our leader and guide in all good, and in the way which leadeth to God. For we are called, and are in very truth, as the prophet says, taught of God. 
and what he says to his father it is right that we should consider with the greatest care for i think we ought in a spirit of the most earnest attention to handle the investigation of his words and most carefully search after the true intent of his teaching father then he says the hour is come glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee so far as the mere form of his language is concerned one could think that the speaker had some lack of glory but any one who considers the majesty of the only begotten would i think quickly shrink from so grievous a conclusion for it were great folly to think that the son has any lack of glory or falls short of the honour which is his due though he is the lord of glory for so the inspired writings call him especially when in another place we observe him saying to his father o father glorify me with the glory which i had with thee before the world was then who can any longer doubt or who is so demented and so far the enemy of all truth as not to know and confess that the only begotten is not bereft of divine glory so far as his own nature is concerned but that since being in the form of god and in perfect equality with him he counted it not a prize to be on an equality with god but nevertheless descended to the humiliation of human nature and emptied himself of his glory wearing this mean body and from love towards us putting on the likeness of human littleness now that the fitting time had actually arrived at which he was destined after fulfilling the mystery of our redemption to gird himself about with his pristine and essential glory having wrought out the salvation of the whole world and secured life and the knowledge of god to those that are therein herein i say he shows that he has god's will and favour and makes this speech to him saying that he ought to recover the majesty due unto his nature and how does he ascend into heaven surely he that even in the flesh showed himself able to accomplish the deeds of a god was not in this subject to another's power but ascended of himself being the wisdom and might of god the father for we must think that thus in no other way he accomplishes the words of a god with power for all things are from the father but not without the son for how could god the father perform any of his proper functions if his wisdom and might i mean the son were not with him and accomplishing with him those things in which his power is seen in active operation therefore also the wise evangelist who wrote this book at the beginning of his work says all things were made by him and without him was not anything made since then the doctrine of his consubstantiality compels us by consequence to think that all things proceed from the father but wholly through the son in the spirit and that he having slain death and corruption and taken away from the devil his kingdom was about to illumine the whole world with the light of the spirit and to show himself thereby henceforth in very deed the true god by nature he is impelled to say father glorify thy son 
that thy son may also glorify thee and no man of sense would maintain that the son ask glory from the father as a man from man but rather that he also promises to give him glory as it were in return for it would be very unbecoming nay rather wholly foolish to have such an idea about god the saviour indeed spake these words to show how very necessary his own glory was to the father that he might be known to be consubstantial with him for just as it would entail dishonour on god the father that the son that was begotten of him should not be such as he that is god by nature and of god ought to be so i think to have his own son invested with those attributes which he is conceived of as having and which are predicated of him will confer honour and glory upon him the father therefore is glorified in the glory of his offspring as i said just now giving glory to the son by considering throughout his earthly career both from how great and of what a father the only begotten sprang and in turn receiving glory from the son by the consideration of how great indeed is the son of whom he is the father the honour and glory then which is theirs essentially and by nature will be reflected from the son on the father and in turn from the father on the son if any man concede that owing to the degradation of his incarnation our lord here speaks more humbly than his true nature warrants for this was his custom he will not altogether miss arriving at a proper conclusion but will not quite attain to the truth in the inquiry for if he were seeking only honour from the father there would be nothing unlikely in setting down the request to the inferiority of human nature but since he promises to glorify the father in turn does it not follow of necessity that we should readily embrace the view we have just given chapter four that it will in no way damage the glory of the son when he is said to have received aught from god the father since for this we can assign a pious reason two even as thou gavest him authority over all flesh that whatsoever thou hast given him to them he shall give eternal life in these words christ expounds once more to us the kind of glory whereby god will exalt and glorify his own son and he will also himself be glorified in turn by his own offspring and he expands the saying and makes the point clear to our edification and profit for what need had god the father who knoweth all things of learning the kind of request he invites then the father's goodness towards us for since he is the high priest of our souls insomuch as he appeared as man though being by nature god together with the father he most fittingly makes his prayer on our behalf trying to persuade us to believe that he is even now the propitiation for our sins and a righteous advocate as john saith therefore also paul wishing us to be of this mind thus exhorts us for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are 
yet without sin. Then, since he is an high priest, insomuch as he is man, and, at the same time, brought himself a blameless sacrifice to God the Father as a ransom for the life of all men, being as it were the first fruits of mortality, that in all things he might have the preeminence, as Paul says, and he reconciles to him the reprobate race of man upon the earth, purifying them by his own blood, and shaping them to newness of life through the Holy Spirit. And since, as we have often said, all things are accomplished by the Father through the Son in the Spirit, he molds the prayer for blessings towards us, as mediator and high priest, though he unites with his Father in giving and providing divine and spiritual graces. For Christ divideth the Spirit, according to his own will and pleasure, to every man severally, as he will. So far with reference to this. Now let us examine and declare what is meant by the form of prayer used. Father, then, he saith, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. How then, or in what manner, will what I have said be brought to pass? I will, he says, that as thou hast given me power over all flesh, that so also all that thou hast given me may have life eternal. For the Father glorified his own Son, putting the whole world under his rule, and he was glorified himself also in turn by him. For the Son was glorified of the Father, being believed of all to be the offspring and fruit of him that is all-powerful, and at his pleasure puts all things under the yoke of his Son's kingly power. And the Father was glorified in turn, so to speak, by his own Son. For since the Son was known to be able to accomplish all things at his pleasure, the splendor of his reputation has reached to him that begat him. As therefore, he says, thou didst glorify and wast glorified, giving to the Son power and sovereignty over all, after the manner just now stated, so I will that nothing that thou hast given me be lost. For this honor will pass from the Father to the Son, and from the Son to the Father. For it was meet that all those who were wholly subject to, and under, the rule of the Word, the all-powerful God, now having been saved once for all, should also abide in blessings without end, so as to be freed from the power of death and the dominion of corruption and sin, and should no longer lie in subjection to their ancient enemies. And as the words, Thou gavest him authority over all flesh, may possibly perplex some simple-minded hearers, let us make a few reflections thereon which may be useful. Without scruple, as it is necessary, even though language may be wholly inadequate to such an exposition. For the Lord will say this most suitably in the character he had assumed, I mean his humiliation and his lowly humanity. For listen to the argument. If, indeed, we feel ashamed when we hear that he became a slave for our sakes, though Lord of all with the Father, and that he was set up as king upon his holy hill of Zion, though he had the power to reign over the universe by right of his own nature, and borrowed it not from others. 
we must needs also feel ashamed if he says that he receives anything as man and if we marvel at his voluntary subjection when we bear in mind the dignity that is his by birthright why are we not also astonished when we hear this saying for possessing all things as god he says that he receives as man to whom kingly power comes not by natural right but by gift for what hast thou that thou didst not receive will suit the limitations of created beings and christ is also a creature in so far as he is man though by nature uncreate in so far as he came from god for all things are conceived of as naturally and individually being in god's hand and are so in truth but all good things in us are borrowed and brought down to us by divine grace when then as man being appointed to rule over us he says that the father has given him power over all flesh we must not be offended at it for we must bear in mind the scheme of our redemption but if you choose to listen to his words as having more reference to his divinity think on what the lord said to the jews verily verily i say unto you no man can come to me except the father which sent me draw him for whom the father will quicken them as by his own life-giving power he brings to his son and through him gives them power and wisdom nay if he will to bring any into subjection to his own rule he calls them in no other way save by the living and all-sufficient might whereby he rules over the universe i mean his son for men who have of themselves no power to accomplish anything that is above and beyond themselves borrow from god the power which can bring all things superhuman into subjection for through him kings have their dominion according to the scripture and monarchs through him rule over the earth and the god of the universe having this power in himself alone subjects to himself the race of man who are reprobates from his love and have shaken off the yoke of his kingdom together with all beside receiving as it were from his own might the gift of dominion over them and subjugating thereby whatsoever he will for god the father subjects them to his son as to his own power and through him wholly and in no other way all things that exist become his willing subjects through obedience to his yoke for as he endows with wisdom and quickens with life all things through him so also he rules over the universe through him we must observe however that it was not to israel alone any longer that the favour of the divine love of mankind was confined but it was extended to all flesh for that which is wholly subject to the power of the saviour will wholly partake in life and grace from him End of chapter four